Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. Like we do. He understands how we feel when we lose a friend, get made fun of, or laugh so hard our stomachs hurt. So while Jesus was in Capernaum, crowds of people flocked to see him. But Jesus wasn't in a big stadium. He was in a regular house. So it was packed. In fact, it was so crowded that every door and window was blocked. Good thing Jesus didn't have claustrophobia. That's a fear of being in a cramped space. You know, like an elevator or maybe a doghouse. Anyway, there were people stuck outside who wanted to get in. One of them was the guy laying on a mat, carried by four of his friends. See, he was paralyzed, so he couldn't walk by himself. Let's call this guy Matt, even though the Bible doesn't tell us his real name. Matt's friends knew Jesus could do a miracle and make him walk. Problem is, there's no way five more people could fit into the house. So you'll never guess what Matt's friends did. They climbed up to the roof, dug a hole, and lowered Matt down, right next to Jesus. Yep, that's right. A hole right through the roof. Let's hope it didn't rain for a while. Some people probably thought Matt's friends were crazy, but they were willing to do anything to get close to Jesus. Are you willing to do whatever it takes to get close to Jesus? Well, Jesus was thrilled to see Matt. He loves it when we try to get close to him and ask for help. In fact, as soon as Matt was lowered down, Jesus said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Jesus had never met Matt before, but he calls everybody who believes in him his friend. And he will forgive us for the wrong things we do too, if we want to start following him. Now, lots of people were there to see Jesus, but a few of these people didn't believe Jesus was actually God's son. These people were the religious leaders, and they were thinking in their heads, who does Jesus think he is? Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he said, I want you to know that God has given me the power to forgive sins. And just to make sure they knew he was God's son, he told Matt to pick up his mat and walk home. So Matt did. We don't know if Matt walked, skipped, or ran, but we do know that the people there said, we have never seen anything like this. They were amazed. Whoa. And that, kids, is a miracle. And that's the story of Jesus healing a guy. So in case you missed it, here's a quick version. Matt needed a miracle. Crowds blocked him from Jesus. Matt's friends climbed on the roof. They dug a hole. They lowered Matt down, right next to Jesus. Jesus called Matt his friend. He forgave his sins. Then Jesus healed Matt. It was amazing. And that's a part of God's story. I did all of the animation myself. That's my American accent, just if you're wondering. Who's having a good day? Who's melting at some point today? Oh, it's a warm day. We've got the illusion of cool here with our little side blue today. How cool is that? Hey, make some noise for all of our team who do this. So good. Last week, it was really cool to be able to say, great to see Phil here for the first time. I don't think I've seen Lisa sing before. That was really cool too. Shout out to the worship team. This place would be decidedly less average with you. Gone. 
I have to think about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. You have to make sure I finish that sentence. Hey. Oh, man, I had a great day today. You know that you're in a moment of anointing when you're on your way to church and you pass a black Lamborghini. That was really good. That was really good. I said basically all of the things I was hoping to achieve today happened in that one moment. So the anointing is with me. It's a good time. Hey, think, speaking of cool moments, who has been like back to a place when you were growing up that was like, like a challenging or a big scary place? It might have been like a playground when you were at school that had a massive slide or like an intense jungle gym. Generally like places that got your blood pumping a little bit when you were a kid. Has anyone ever been back to that environment as an adult and realized that it's not as big as you thought it was? It's funny when we go through moments in life and then when we go back to there, what we thought was so intimidating for us is actually not that big. I can remember a teacher, her name was Mrs. Meredith. It wasn't until I was much older that I discovered her first name was Lynn because nobody ever dared to ask. She was like basically the scariest woman in my life as a seven and an eight-year-old boy. And uh, if you, if you uh, would be so uh, bold as to imagine uh, this guy as a young guy. I wasn't always quiet <laughs> and shy. Generally speaking, I was really well behaved because I'm a stickler for rules and for like justice. So if it was outside the parameters, I'd get quite worked up if there was some form of injustice. So I spent quite a lot of time sitting in the corner uh, in a hula hoop facing the other direction because of Mrs. Meredith. And it wasn't until several years later where I met her in the supermarket and I realized she's the loveliest little lady that like I had ever known as an adult. But as a kid, she was the scariest person in my whole world. I can remember going to multiple playgrounds uh, just as an adult and going, man, this is just lame. Like, this is really small. Like, this used to scare me. I don't know what it is about growing but like the Bible talks about stuff, how we go from strength to strength, right? And what that means is when we face situations that used to be intimidating, there's moments in life when you come to realize that God's taken you on a journey of faith, that he's, in, like, he's enlarged your capacity and developed your character to a point where you would stand in front of the same situation that at one point struck fear and intimidation into your life. But now you're able to operate from a place of, it's just not that big. In fact, that's a, bit, that's a bit lame, that situation. I feel like we can walk through this now, and I don't even have to slow my stride. Because there's something going from strength to strength. Tonight I want to speak on the message which I've called, The Map Moves. The Map Moves. It really wasn't until I was like, there's about four different options to entitle tonight's message. It wasn't until I was about to walk up here that I thought, Do you know what, that, that's, that's the key. For tonight is that the mat moves, and really it comes out of a passage that's found in Luke chapter two. Uh, it's also uh, Luke chapter five. It's also found in Mark chapter two. We're going to read out of Mark chapter two. But before we go there, I just want to give you for a moment just a bit of setting. So we know from the story, right? This dude is paralyzed. What you may not understand is that the context of the time, people didn't have social welfare. So if you are paralyzed. Your only way of survival and getting things done was through the help of others. Oftentimes, that meant that you had to beg for money for food. And being stuck on a mat, generally the mats were about three foot by six foot, so not quite this wide, but about this size. This was your whole world. All day. And if it rained, 
Or if you needed the bathroom, or if you needed a shower, or you wanted to go home, you were here until somebody took you there. So your whole life revolved around this little six-by-three cell, and many people were imprisoned, in a manner of speaking, at least socially in that environment. And oftentimes, the thinking was, it must be because of some form of sin or issue in their life. And maybe it wasn't an issue or a sin in their life. Maybe it was their parents. But either way, there's some form of judgment because the religious mindset says, if I do the right things, then I'll be blessed and set free. And so anybody who's stuck in that environment is, is, is over a period of time becomes a social outcast. And what we don't understand or read in this passage is how long he was paralyzed. Maybe it was from birth. Maybe he never knew what it was like to walk. Maybe he'd walked for a while and then something happened. An accident of some form happened. And he's stuck here and he's begging for food and he's begging for help and he's begging for life essentially, because they didn't have anything else to do. So he's stuck on a mat. So for a long time, I'm guessing, if I, can, if I can, like, I guess, try and put myself in there, at least for some of those people, they would have been stuck in that situation for a long period of time. How many know, like, when you have to sit still and there's nothing around you, that time almost slows down? Like, has anybody been in a situation where the clock almost stops? Like, I can remember the longest year of my life. It was from May the 1st in 2002 until the following, almost May, where I spent basically my whole existence for, apart from 10 weekends, stuck in a hospital ward. And in those days where I was placed, the only thing that we had was a TV, but if I watched it, I was in a lot of chemo and going through a lot of that stuff, it made me feel real queasy, so I didn't really watch that. So all I used to watch was the clock. And I'm the type of personality that needs people. If you put me in an environment by myself, I'd be a horrible sniper. Because after a few minutes, in most cases, I'll just start singing or talking or just making some form of noise because I need some type of company or people or music or sound or something to do or just something around me that's not just dead silent still. But we imagine this dude, for at least a period of time, got stuck on this mat, right? As an outcast, when people would walk past. How many people lately have walked past somebody who's begging? What do we do? Most of the time, we just keep walking. But can you put yourself in their shoes for a moment, right? Now, in New Zealand, there's nobody here who has to live on the street. You're there by choice because we have social welfare. So it's a decision, right? Some people just don't want to live in a house, even if it's being provided for them. We helped some friends uh, for a while in, in a ministry that works with homeless people for a period of time, uh, and some people decided they didn't want to live in a house and to the point where if they got made to, they would burn the thing down. So they just let them live outside. So some people, like, we're there by choice, right? But in that era, there wasn't a choice. So, like, I just want you to understand the context of, that's a long time if the mat sits still. Some days would drag if you're in the sun and, like, that Middle Eastern environment would be a long, hot, slow day. So days like today is actually quite nice for illustrating a point. That that's, that's a long, warm day. I was saying to a friend before, this is my anti-sweatshirt. It's not because it's not happening. It's just because it's black that you don't see it. <laughs> Which is really good. It's a clever move. So if you turn with me 
into the book of Mark chapter 2. If we can have that on the screen. It starts with this. It says, a few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard he had come home. What I love about this is when Jesus comes home, people hear about it. Which gets me thinking, right? I'm so, like, I'm challenged by the fact that if Jesus is invited into my life and into my house, then it will attract other people. And if I'm not attracting other people, then is he in my life? It's a challenging thought, right? Because like he talks about how, how body is not just a house, but it's a temple. So we're like a baller house, if you were to use this as, as an illustration to go, well, actually, if I'm called to be a temple of his goodness and his spirit and his presence, then there's something about Jesus that's attractive. And some people will come just to see what's going on. We see in the story in a moment that there's some people who just didn't like the dude. But crazy stuff happens when Jesus is in your home. When you let him into your environment, we know one thing's for sure is stuff can't stay the same. So if stuff is challenged and confronted and things are changed around you, it's an interesting place to be. But I love the fact that when they hear him come home, we roll on to verse 2. It says, they gather in such large numbers, there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preaches the word to them. Think about that. Like, put yourself in an environment where there's a full house. Has anybody ever had like a birthday party or some event at a house that was like way too many people for the size of the house? Now double the amount of people that's there and add another half and shove them inside. Now imagine being in that environment that was already a little bit uncomfortable. And you can now tell that like your neighbors have some serious BO going on. And there's like foot and knee going in the side of your back. Like I just imagine a full house. What does that look like when you get tired and you have to sit down? Like do you think that there was any free space on the floor? Because to me if the house was at a point where you're so jammed in and it was a good thing to be around Jesus, whether it was for yourself or just to watch what he was about to do. No one wants to miss out, right? So this dude's probably hanging out the windows. Like there's, there'll be people on the table. They probably took most of the furniture out. So like I imagine this house, right, being so packed that there's no free space. And I'll tell you why that's important in a minute. Let's roll to verse 3. Hmm. says, some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. I love the language in this verse, because it suggests that there's more people. To me, when I saw that, I, was, I realized for a moment that there were some people there out of conviction, and some of his mates or this crowd out of convenience. They just wanted to see what would happen. And we know that, like, this dude on the mat was at least at some distance from the house because by the time everybody asked there, Jesus was already midstream and he's not there. So his mates have heard about Jesus being there, but it takes them a little longer to catch up. So there's a level of cost to carrying this man on his mat to get him to Jesus where four of them decided that they would share the load. But there were some friends in your life that are just there to see what's going on. There's some associates, some people in your world that don't want to carry the cost and are not interested in you carrying you to Jesus. They just kind of want to see what's going to happen. 
So they'll happily be a bystander until it gets to the point where the crowd's so full, it thins out those of you who are dedicated to the cause, who are dedicated to helping to carry you to Jesus. Friends, I want you to consider who's in your world right now that's carrying you to Jesus. Who's those other people that just come along for the ride and when things get a little bit uncomfortable or this is a bit too hot or everyone's a bit too stinky or I don't want to push through the crowd because that's a little bit impolite, I want to challenge you to think about this is a great time of year to consider the people in your life who are carrying you and committed to getting you to Jesus. And we read on here, and it suggests, as I say, that there's more than these four men, but we know at least four of them carry this dude. Brings me to a thought, right? Some people you can't get to Jesus by yourself. There's some people in your life that's going to take your friends to help carry them to Jesus. But there's something about the Spirit of God that says where two or three are gathered, that He's in the midst, that all of a sudden it's not just you human by yourself versus one man. And a paralyzed person to me is a pretty easy target to get to Jesus in one way because whether he wants to go or not, he's coming. I'm going to bring him whether he likes it or not. So like we assume that they were friends of him, right? But maybe they were just like, let's just see what happens. I'm going to just take this dude to Jesus and we're just going to like see if he's legit. Let's find out. And so we roll on through verse, I think we're up to four, maybe five. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. You can leave it up for a moment. Can, like, can you imagine that? Like as if that house wasn't holy enough because Jesus was in the midst of it. Some dude had to dig a hole in the roof. Like if you were the homeowner, like I think about this, right? Because yesterday as I'm cleaning my house, I thought, if I'm already at a point where all these people that I don't even know, my neighbors and the ones I invited turn up, and then all these other people turned up, and some of my stuff's getting broken, and some people are sitting on my bench, and I'm going to have to clean that. And those days, they've been walking through all the dust and the dung and everything else, and you all just drag that into my house, and then you're like so packed that your body odor is going to make my house smell like another type of aroma for a few days, and it's like packed as, and there's nowhere to move, and it's so tight that I can't get to the guys on the roof to say, what are you doing? Stop digging a hole in my roof. But I'd have been all sorts of put out because I'd already been inconvenienced enough by you trying to get to Jesus in my house. Where's the level of cost that's reasonable to let somebody in to be able to encounter Jesus? What's the level of cost? Is it going to take somebody destroying your home? See, the problem with that sentence, right, is we think it's our home. Because we, if we're holding on to our stuff, this is my time. This is my space. This is my home. This is my time to myself. This is my hobby. This is, if the world centers around myself, then I've forgotten one basic truth. Come on, it's not mine. It's his. And if it's still mine, I'm holding on to stuff I shouldn't. So maybe this dude wasn't put out because he realized it wasn't his house. Because he realized eternity 
was a way longer time to look back and let somebody into Jesus. Maybe he just realized that Jesus was a carpenter. Nailed it. Someone asked me got a conversation the other day. They reckon, oh, do you reckon he would have been a good carpenter? I was like, he would have been the man. I bet he nailed it. Saw what I did there. Oh, it's so good. Some of you missed the fact that I spelled would have been the man, W-O-O-D. It was so good. So they make a hole in the roof. And in those days, right, there's like the clay tiles were made out of like anything you could get your hands on and then dried out in the sun. So dung and like dust and like straw and like bits of clay that they could get on, anything that they could use to try and stop the rain, right? But I got a question, right? If Remember how full the house was, right? It says it was so packed no one else could fit in there. That suggests that it was so full that you couldn't fit another person in there. Which suggests that, like, there's no room for anybody else, right? Like, if you think that through, like, imagine that space being that tight. When you start digging through that, where does that stuff go? So, like, Jesus is midstream. And if I'm the type of dude who just wants to hear from Jesus, and somebody starts interrupting me by, like, ripping a hole in my roof, and now not only is there, like, dung and dust and everything else that's come through, and people are sitting on my table and sitting on my bench and hanging out the window, but now there's, like, bits of roof falling on Jesus and on everybody else and all that dust and all that stuff, that's a pretty big distraction. And I'll be all sorts of, like, If I couldn't move, you would hear my other really advanced muscle. It's a vocal cord. And like what I lack in size, I make up for in authority in other ways. And I'd be like, at the very least, shut up. Stop digging a hole in my roof. What are you doing? We're trying to hear Jesus. He's in the room. You were too late. I already got enough people in here that I've been inconvenienced by that I let them to Jesus on the scale of one to like good enough deed for the day. I'm way beyond comfortable right now. There's a whole lot of cost here that I know I'm going to get my reward because look what I got to clean up already. And now you want to make it so there's a hole in the roof. I'd be all sorts of upset if I'm the homeowner. I feel like nailing them. I'd be biffing a hammer or my shoe or anything. I'd be climbing over the people in the middle just to stop them. But this stuff starts falling on everybody. They start digging it, which assumes some of it probably didn't go on the people. But like if you ever dug through something that had a hole on the other side of it, we had this driveway when we were living uh, near the airport. And what we didn't realize when we first rented the house is that it used to be like a landfill. And so none of the doors really quite closed properly and it would creak through the house because all the piles had been moved. And we didn't realize how bad it was until the asphalt driveway had this little hole. And I was like, what is that? So I like tapped on it and there's like two feet of nothing under the driveway. And we were like, I'm never driving the car down that driveway ever again. We need to find another house because that is messed up. Like, that is so messed up. But the thing about digging on the top side of nothing, right, is stuff falls. Like, I don't have to teach you about gravity to understand that that stuff must have gone everywhere. And so they're in this space, right, where these four dudes at least on a roof, lucky the roof, like, holds. 
And then they're like, do you know what? I got a great idea. Regardless of whether this dude wanted to come to Jesus or not, and I assume that he does by the end of the message, but like whether he does or not, there's nothing he can do about it, so we're going to drop him. We're just going to drop him. He's paralyzed anyway. He's probably not going to feel it. But like maybe the people underneath might get hit and maybe they'll feel it, but we can just have a big healing service. It'll be great. But like here's the question, right? When they lowered him, Where'd he go? Where'd he go? If there's no space for another person in the house, he didn't hit the floor. And whilst I think the cartoon was awesome, I think the one thing it doesn't show you in that moment is that this paralyzed man gets lowered onto people that were already in the house where Jesus was. And it got me thinking, there's something about the house when it's full and when it's Jesus in the room that our responsibility as a disciple is to lift broken people to Jesus. There's something about carrying broken people to Jesus that sets them free. This says, I recognize whatever paralysis of a state that you've been living in but you're not walking out of here the same as the way that you came in. If there's brokenness, if there's stuff that's sat empty and still in your life, if there's areas of lack of breakthrough and provision, and you've been sitting in that place for a long time, friend, I came to tell somebody tonight that the mat moves. The mat moves. And it says, they lowered the mat. And verse five, when Jesus saw their faith, which is an interesting thing, right? Because all I see is an inconvenience, is a distraction from Jesus, is a problem. But Jesus recognizes that same inconvenience, that same distraction, that same problem, and he recognizes faith. Friends, what's the problem? that's an inconvenience or a distraction in your life at the moment? What if that's the thing that Jesus is trying to use to catch your attention and say, hey, just come back, just bring the mat back. You just need to carry it to me. I know you think this is the thing which is distracting you from me. Like when I pray sometimes, I just think about other stuff. Like, I'd, I'd like to assume for a moment that I'm not the only person who, like, all these chores and things I have to do just start popping through my mind. And I'm like, oh, i got to pay that bill. And, oh, i got to do that thing. And i got to visit that person. And then I'm, I'm like, sorry, Jesus, I forgot about you. And I come back to them, and I'm like, okay, cool, yeah, awesome. Or, like, at night, I feel like, I've got this great idea. I'm going to read before I go to sleep. And you're like, open the Bible. And it's like, and then... And you're like, wow, it's amazing. But there's something about the kingdom that values order. There's something about the kingdom and the Holy Spirit that would allow himself to remind you of stuff that would bring him honor. Because there's no honor when we forget to pay the bill. There's no honor when he's asking us and prompting us to talk to somebody who needs us who needs just a moment of Jesus that's on us to be released on that. And so oftentimes I've learned now to run with it. 
Because I recognize that what I thought was a distraction oftentimes can be the Holy Spirit trying to remind me. It's just that I get so stuck in my day that that's the only time I tune in for a moment and say, hey, God, we need to talk. And he already knows that if I'm not going to give him the space to talk back in that space and I'm just going to talk at him and then feel better and then run off, then those are the times where he's just got to be like, I've got to get your attention. I got to get your attention somehow. You got to pay that bill. You got to go and call that person. You got to talk to them. Hey, there's an issue in your life that you haven't dealt with over there. Man, it's about time that you did some exercise because you ain't going to sleep right because all you've done today is shatter your brain, but your mind is, is one thing and your body is still full of beans. And it's like, would you allow yourself to be distracted by the Holy Spirit? Because how many know he's the best distraction? But where I see distraction, where I see inconvenience, where I see a problem, Jesus recognizes faith. What if faith looked like digging a hole? I'd dig a hole. What if faith looked like me tackling my fear of heights and climbing it on a roof? I'd do it. What if faith looked like picking up a paralyzed man and being like, bro, you're coming for a walk. What if faith looked like gathering a bunch of people to go and be Jesus to an environment and then carry them home and introduce them to Jesus? What if faith looked like going to a place that wasn't just convenient, but it actually had a cost? And it meant that there was going to have to be some level of repair in your house or in your life. Like what if faith had a cost? And Jesus recognizes faith where often we see a problem. And he says to the paralyzed man, check this, right? So he's paralyzed. And he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Which is the craziest thing to me. When I read that, I'm like, are you on drugs? That's just mental. Like it doesn't make sense. But have you ever been in an environment where you recognized there was something that you needed, but you didn't necessarily knew, know that you wanted it? Have you ever understood there's a difference sometimes between what we want and what we need? I did this with our intermediates this morning. I just said, right, breathe in and hold your breath. And like what felt like 16 minutes later, it was probably only about 12 seconds, but like it was a long time for them because no one was prepared for it. Suddenly we become aware of not just I want air, but I actually need it. Like there's some stuff in our lives that we need that God wants to deal with that before he wants to deal with the stuff that we want. He can deal with the heart issue of the stuff that, man, I feel like I want this and I want this and I want this and I want this. And God's like, no, 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 no. You just, you need this. And so he's paralyzed and God's like, do you know what? I care more about your eternity than I do about your comfort. Like in this situation, I care more about your character. I care more about your proximity to me and the relationship you have with me than all the stuff. We can sort the stuff on the way. And if I have to carry you around and get some people to help carry you around, then come for a ride. But like the priority here is kingdom prioritizing wholeness over healing. And so he says to them, your sins are forgiven. And then verse 6. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves. Notice that they weren't speaking. Because if you're in a house that's so full there's no space, right? The moment you start saying something, someone's going to hear it. So I've been thinking about how I could get away with thinking stuff. And if I think it, then you don't know that I think it. 
so I can get away with it. But when I was growing up, if I said it out loud, that often meant that there would be some retribution or discipline in my life, once or twice, because I'm a middle child. But if I just think it, then nobody else knows. And so these guys aren't talking, they're just thinking. And verse 7 says, why does this guy think like that? Why does he talk like that? They're thinking, why does he talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Because remember that the mindset of the day was if you're unwell, there's sin. There's some issue. So you or your family or somebody close to you has messed up. And so therefore, God's punishing you. So therefore, if he's healed, then he must be a good person. But if he's not because this cat's paralyzed, he's a bad person. So how dare Jesus come and say your sins are forgiven to this dude who's still on a mat paralyzed? Because i got proof that they're not forgiven because he's still there. Do you understand where we're going with that? And so he says, why does he talk like that? And in verse 8, we roll into, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit. This is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Here's the thought, right? If Jesus is in your house, your thinking starts to change. You want a litmus test of how involved Jesus is in your life? At this time of year, what's changing in your thinking and in your thought life? Because a paralyzed man, doesn't matter how paralyzed you are, whether that be physically or emotionally, if we go emotionally for a moment, if I'm paralyzed out of fear for the future instead of faith in the goodness of God, then the world will call that anxiety. And on the flip side, if I'm paralyzed, out of regret from mistakes from the past. Instead of having a kingdom perspective of being able to say, well, actually, God, what were you trying to teach me and show me through all those trials and afflictions and challenges in life? What was it that you wanted me to learn? Whose life were you getting closer to you through my, strength, my pain and my struggle and my inconvenience and the cost that was there? God, give me a perspective of the past. If we don't ask him that, to rewire our view of the past into something that looks more like his view of it, then the world calls that depression. Because it's based out of regret. And there are countless people in our world dealing with anxiety or depression who are paralyzed because their thinking's not right. And what's even more sad, I think, is that many of the times we sit there paralyzed on the mat because we don't believe that we're good enough. Because our thought life says, God can do this, but he won't for me because I'm different. And we make excuse because we get impatient and it hasn't happened yet. And if it hasn't happened, that means that obviously it's not going to happen for me. God will do it, but just not for me. And we get into this stupid thought life where like our cup starts to get full of stuff that shouldn't be, right? Where it's like, I'm, I'm afraid of the future. I'm living in regret of the past, but ultimately I don't believe that God can for me. I believe that he can, but I don't believe he can for me which would suggest that I don't believe that God is God for me. He's the God, but he's not my God, which means that my thinking gets me into a place of separation of relationship, and then I'm paralyzed in a place that goes nowhere. But the mat moves. I want to tell you, friend, that the mat moves. So there's two questions, right? first one is this, who's on your mat? Like if we're called and commissioned to carry somebody to Jesus, who's on your mat? Somebody's on your mat. 
You just might not have even realized it yet. In fact, they've been sitting on that mat for so long that you just think that is what they do. And we just walk past it. They're still on the mat. They're just waiting for someone to come and pick them up and carry them to Jesus. But the second question, right, is what's on your mat? Where's the busted thinking that doesn't match up with how he sees you, how he's called us, what he's said he can and will and has done and is going to do and is doing? Where is it that we're not recognizing what he's currently doing? We're going, God, this is inconvenient. There's a cost here. So what if he has to make your car break down so that you could meet somebody to change your life? A friend of mine got driven into an, in a car park leaving the Auckland church not too long ago. And after the person who drove into them, who caused the accident, got out and vomited all the rage. Because like when you're in a paralyzed state, right? When you're in a stinking, thinking state, like when you're in a place that like is hurting or busted, like you're speaking from a place that's not right. It's not healthy. It's not, you're, you're speaking from the mat. It's mat time, kids. Come on, you're speaking from a place where we go back to school. Do you know what I mean? And so once they got the vomit out, she just started talking. Oh, I've just been at church. Oh, yeah. And by the end of this conversation, like 10 minutes later, this dude like goes through the salvation prayer and gives his life to Jesus and realizes that he needs whatever it is that she's got because all of his vomit just didn't stick to her. And like, I want to encourage you that there's some situations that we see as a distraction that God's so unfocused on somebody's eternal destiny that he doesn't care about inconvenience. He doesn't care about what looks like a problem to me. He's a setup. It's a setup. It's a setup. Who's on your mat? What's on your mat? We roll into verse 9. Which of these things are easy to say to the paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven or get up and take your mat and walk. Number 10. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he says to the man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat and go home. In verse 12, he got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we've never seen anything like this. The thing about a mat in those days is all the people who were paralyzed had a pretty similar looking mat. It was a pretty similar size mat because it took the same, generally, number of people to carry the paralyzed man to a place where they could be and sit and wait in their paralyzed state, day in, day out, when they needed to be showered, when they needed to eat, when they needed to get out of the rain. If someone would come and get them, they would come and pick up that same, generally six by three mat. That was their prison cell. Often for crimes that they may not have committed, we know now that it wasn't always because of, it wasn't a basis of judgment, it was just, it was just paralyzed. But what if God's prepared to leave you in a state of paralysis for long enough so that there's a testimony where you understand that your life is never the same when He set you free? Like it's an inconvenient question to ask, but like what if He's okay with leaving you paralyzed for a while because He recognizes that when He sets you free, you ain't never gonna forget that because for however long He sat on those long days, and sometimes we want an answer to prayer. Let's be honest, like all the time, we want an answer to prayer. Come on, be Santa Claus. It's a shopping list. I want it now. This is what I need. But he's patient because the day to him is like a thousand years, which is not that encouraging, right? But what if? 
What if you're in a circumstance right now that isn't going to change for a while? And it's frustrating and you're stuck on the mat. I want to tell you that the mat moves. And so he says, get up and walk. And so the dude gets up and what's he do? He picks up his mat. The very thing that's proof that he was the dude that was on that mat. The thing that he was stuck on, he picks up what was a prison cell. What everybody would recognize is that's a dude that's been sitting on that. That was the proof. And I love this. The moment that this guy has this encounter with Jesus and gets changed, right? And gets healed and gets set free. Jesus says, walk. Pick it up and walk. Because a testimony was not just made to encourage the house. It wasn't just made to show off in front of people that were already close to Jesus. Jesus sends him to a place that's not close to Jesus so that other people would know that here comes a dude. What are you doing with that mat? Did the dude die? No, I was the dude. Wait, what? What? How are you walking? Now, I don't know if he never walked. I don't know if it's been a while before, but I imagine a house that's full when you go to walk, right? The best thing about that apart from the fact that it's an obstacle course, which is just crazy, is like there's human cushion if you're learning to walk. It wouldn't have been easy to get out of the house if it was already so full that it was like not able to go anywhere. But somehow he pushes through and climbs over all these people and gets outside with it and walks off. Now, the other thing as a side note that I like to think is quite funny is the dude who was the homeowner, Heck yeah, if I was Jesus, I'd be sending that dude away because like, I'd be wanting to hit that dude with a shovel myself. So he's like, for your safety, you need to leave now. Exit stage left. Everybody else, I'm still here. Homeowner, stay over there. Thank you. Awesome. Get away. But I just think that's awesome because there's safety with Jesus. But he says, pick it up. Who's on your mat? What's on your mat? which is where we land tonight. Pick up your mat. If all you have to do is recognize what's paralyzed, just needs to get to Jesus. What does that look like? Come on, as I surrender all, I, the best thing about that is it's all the bad stuff too. I'm not just giving my ability, my gift, my talent, the things that I can do, the stuff I feel confident in, the stuff that I feel like I'm able to do, I'm also giving him all the stuff that was paralyzed. I love the thought that the Bible says the burden is light. His burden is light. So when it's heavy, it means we've picked up stuff we shouldn't be. So give it back. Pick up the mat. So God, this is heavy. I'm carrying stuff I shouldn't be right now. It takes more faith to trust you that you're going to do it in your timing than in mine but I know who I would rather trust. And last week, right, we talked on breakthrough. And the week before we talked on having like peace full, your cup full. And this week is really like a house full. A full house. But I love the thought that when Jesus is in the house, stuff starts to get full. 
you can operate in this season from a place that says peace, full, hope, full. The love tank in my life is full. The anointing, full. The word of knowledge is full. Faith, full. Come on, my ability to recognize that somebody in my life is just sitting on the mat that I walked past before and I didn't see before, but you recognize it. I pray the Holy Spirit would quicken your spirit. Even this week, as we would go about our daily lives, that there would be a quickening in your spirit to recognize that they're just on the mat. And I just got to move the mat because the mat moves. It's not glued to the carpet. It's not tacked down. The mat moves. It was made to move. It was made to carry broken people to Jesus. And if all we did in this house was lift broken people to Jesus, how many know they wouldn't stay broken for long? How are we doing for time? I want to play you a video. And then we're going to wrap it up. i got one more video for you. Thanks, team. And I wanted to do some scientific research for uh, my sermon, so I went on Facebook. And I asked a simple question, what's an area of your life where you need a breakthrough? You know what was stunning? Over 90% of the responses and thousands of people talked back to me. Over 90% of the responses, I'm probably being generous, it was probably 99% of the responses were responses about a situation. You know what? I didn't see anybody say, and maybe they said it and maybe I missed it, that's entirely possible. But I heard people talk about, I need a breakthrough in my relationship because my husband's acting crazy. I heard people talking about, I need a breakthrough with my child because they're out of control. I heard people talk about the job that they needed. And, and all of those things are things that I would love to pray with you about. But you know what was strangely missing from the list? I didn't hear one person say, I'm selfish. And in this season of revival, I would like God to set me free from me. And sometimes we need to just make a mark in our lives and say, you know what, God, it'd be great if you could change my marriage, and I want that, and it'd be nice if I could get the home. I want that. And well, Lord, you know what I'm needing that I'm not getting from others, but but it starts right here. This is the place in my heart, in my life, doing new work in me, creating me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Nice. I love smooth transitions. In Ephesians 4, I want to read for you just a couple of verses. And then I've got one more verse and we're done. If we can roll into Ephesians 4 verse 1. It says, Therefore I am a prisoner for serving the Lord. I beg you to lead a life that's worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle, patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. I love that thought right around breakthrough. Is it breakthrough or breakdown? Because it gets breakdown when I start thinking that the problem is outside of starting with myself. 
And I wonder sometimes in areas of my life where I haven't seen breakthrough. It's because God's trying to deal with something in my life first before a situation will change. And sometimes that situation, which is inconvenience and it looks like a distraction and it looks like a problem. That's the situation where Jesus is trying to get your attention to bring the mat back to Him. If we roll on to the next part in Ephesians 4, I think we're up to like verse 13 maybe. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we'll be mature in the Lord, measuring the full and complete standard of Christ. It'll, then we'll no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We won't be influenced when people try and trick us with lies so clever that they sound like truth. Instead, we'll speak the truth in love growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of His body, the church. And just jump, oh, yep. And He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. Each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts to grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. What I, what I love about that, right, is paralysis disappears when the body functions in the way that it was designed. And we as a body, when we function, can eliminate paralysis from our life and from other people's lives and cause it to function in a way that it was designed. We roll into, I think, verse 22. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Maybe if we can have the team out. I've been thinking about this whole thing of relationship with God and bringing the map to Jesus of who's on my map, of what's on my map. And it's time to pick up my map and get it to Jesus. And I'm reminded of in Psalms, in 119, it's the longest chapter. It follows two other chapters, which are just for fun facts for you. 117 is the shortest chapter in the whole Bible. There's two verses in it. 118, verse 8, is the very center of the Bible. And the Bible is centered on a verse that says it's better to trust in God than man. And from a place of the, like standing on the mat tonight, can I suggest to you that it's better to trust in Him than me? him than you but then 119 happens and that just so happens to be the longest chapter in the world like if if you're having trouble with like remembering chapters this is not the one to start with because it's really 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 long like we're not even anywhere near this chapter being finished and we're 105 verses into this thing and it says in Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now just like wherever you are for a moment, like nobody move. If we could do the house thing. And maybe turn that off. It's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And I ask myself the question, why does it not say it's a spotlight? or a headlight, or a torch. Because surely 
that would light up more of the path. Surely I could foresee what's coming a little easier. If His Word was like a spotlight, at least I would know what was coming up ahead, a little further down the track. But there's something about a lamp that's a light to my feet that stops me focusing on what's too far ahead because whether I like it or not, I can't see that much further ahead. There's something about a lamp to my feet which means that I'm focused on what's closest to me. And if I think about the source of the light, which is Jesus, then I don't want a torch that's lighting up in the distance. If my focus is on how do I stay close to Jesus with His Word and His presence and His teaching and His anointing, then anywhere I go is going to be okay. Then anything that jumps out at me, even if it comes by surprise, I feel like I can handle if I'm close to Jesus because Him plus anyone is a majority vote. It's a majority decision. In fact, if you read the end of the book, you always recognize that the decision's already been made. The battle has already been won. So if in my steps of faith and challenge and trial and life, if I can recognize that it's a lamp, which means I can't see that far ahead, but that's because He wants to be close. Then I recognize how close I am to the source because I have to carry it and I'd rather carry this than my mat I'd rather God illuminate what was in my life and surrounding me so that I could stay close to Him I'd rather recognize that the mat moves with the lamp, which is His Word. And if it's His Word, then we know that there's His presence. And if there's His presence there, then we know that there's kingdom there. And if there's kingdom there, then we know that paralysis doesn't stay paralyzed. And fear and regret dissipate with presence. And I just think that's a beautiful thing. It's a lamp to your feet. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.